0: In 1983, Anne and I answered God's call to full time ministry and we enrolled into Singapore Bible College. Uh, We left our job. She was a school teacher. I was a staff officer in Mindef. We emptied our bank account and went into Bible school. And we were with a church at that time called Emmanuel Christian Fellowship. And in the mid 80s, it was worshipping in an Old bungalow that was renovated at 7 to 1 Bukitima. Even though it was renovated uh, when it rains heavily, the, the, the roof will leak. Uh, so the rainwater will come into the sanctuary with buckets of pills and and um, also in those days um, there were rats running around in the four ceiling, etc. So when we we're working in the office, you can hear a <coughs> scattering of rats, and there's even once a snake that came in and scared the daylight of Pastor Glenn. But these were wonderful and happy days. And I remember uh, in one of those overnight prayers, I was in this kitchen of this old bungalow. It was about 2am in the morning. And at 2 in the morning as I was praying, the Lord visited me with a promise. The promise was in Isaiah 60.22, the smallest will become a clan, The least one, a mighty nation. I, the Lord, will hasten it in its time. The promise, of course, was given to Israel. But it was a promise the Lord laid upon my heart for this small church. And the clan in Hebrew is a thousand strong. So I prayed for the Lord to bring forth His um, blessings upon this church. And in 1992, I led in the changing of the name for the church from Emmanuel Christian Fellowship to Covenant Evangelical Free Church. Why we call it Covenant is because I am um, leaning towards the Reformed theology and the Reformed tradition. And in the Reformed tradition, there is a strong emphasis on preaching. So right from the start, uh, since I was a pastor 36 years ago, we we started preaching book by book in the Bible. One book a year, uh, generally. And we we saw the Lord blessing through the series. This year, 2024, 36 years later, we are still doing it book by book. And the book we're exploring this year is the book of Leviticus. And in order to set the context for us in the book of Leviticus, the preaching team has decided to give a background in terms of four sermons. And The four sermons speak of the Torah, the law, the covenant, the promise of God, the tabernacle, the presence of God, and today, the exodus. is a journey that leads to the sanctifying of God's people in their journey towards God. And I call this the exodus and the holy God encounters we find in that journey. So would you bow with me in prayer as we ask the Lord to bless this time together in the Word. And uh, we ask Him to give us His his sense of his leading in this wonderful book. Eternal God and Heavenly Father, we come before you now and ask for your great and wonderful blessings to us. Once again, let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in your sight. Tutor us in your Holy Scriptures. Help us to recognise the God encounters we find in the sacred Scriptures. And help us to walk with the joy of the Lord, in the light of your word. We thank you in Jesus' magnificent name. Amen. A story was told of a long-winded visiting pastor, visiting speaker, and uh, his, his messages, like the like, mercies of God, it endures forever. He went on and on, and each time when he preached, when the congregation, one of them said, Amen, he gets so excited, he preached on again. And then another preachy brother, he really took it literally, so he preached on. And, and it went way over time. The pastor was sitting in front, the host pastor. And then he decided, as this long-winded preacher carried on, he would say, Amen, Pharaoh. And he preached a few more sentences, he went, Amen, Pharaoh. Now, the visiting preacher didn't know what Amen Pharaoh was, but he decided after a few Amen Pharaoh from the senior pastor, he better wrap up his long sermon and he sat down. The service was over, the congregation left, and the visiting pastor asked the the host pastor, uh, can you explain to me what this Amen Pharaoh you, you were shouting at the front, what was it about? And the host pastor said, I was simply telling you, let my people go. (laughs) Let my people go was the message that Moses brought to Pharaoh. It was a message of God that sparked forth the deliverance from the bondage of Egypt. Let my people go. As we look at the story of Exodus and the key lessons we learned in the God encounter, I find there's a fantastic passage in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 9 to 12. And in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 9 to 12, it captures the God encounters in three fantastic snapshots. Turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 9, and I read at verse 9 and verse 12. You saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry by the Red Sea. Verse 9. Let's continue with verse 10 and 11 and then I highlight verse 12 for you. Verse 10. Then you performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all the servants and all the peoples of the land. For you knew that they acted arrogantly towards them and made a name for yourself as it is this day. Verse 11. You divided the sea before them, so they passed through the midst of the sea on dry ground, and their pursuers you heard into the depths like a stone into raging waters. Verse 12. And with a pillar of cloud you led them by day, with a pillar of fire by night, to light for them the way in which they were to go. There were three places highlighted in this passage. The first is Egypt and the bondage in Egypt. The second is the Red Sea and the parting of the Red Sea. And the third is the guidance of the Lord, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night in the wilderness to light for them the way they are to go. Three geographical locations giving us three portraits of God in terms of three God encounters. And I'd like to explore with you one at a time. The first is encountering God As our bondage breaker. This is from chapter 9, verse 9 of Nehemiah. In the first part of the verse, you saw the afflictions of our fathers in Egypt. You saw. In other words, God is not blind, God is aware, God sees. Sometimes in our trials, in our difficulties, we feel as if God doesn't see, God doesn't care. He does. You saw the afflictions. And the afflictions was in the bondage of Egypt. It was the severity that is highlighted here. The afflictions. You see, as the story goes from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, God blessed these pilgrims of faith. And then he comes to the point of the Jacob and the 12 tribes, and Joseph was the leading one who actually went to Pharaoh and, and led the entire region out of their famine by providing them with grains and teaching Pharaoh, as it were, instructing Pharaoh, how to watch over that which God is going to bring to pass. How to keep the storehouse full so that in a time of famine, Egypt is able to supply the land. So Joseph became the Prime Minister of Egypt. And then the Bible says when Joseph passed on, as in the end of Genesis, when Exodus came, it began with the narrative they forgot who Joseph was. And so when they forgot who Joseph was, the Egyptians now were threatened, as it were, by the growth and the expansion of the Israelites. And they began to enslave them in a severe punishing slavery. These were the sons of Abraham. Can you imagine, in the slavery, all their rights were stripped off, They they were moved into forced labour, and if you have a son or daughter born in the household of Israel, they are born slaves. But these were the children of Abraham. And so in the fullness of time, God sent a deliverer by the name of Moses. And Moses stormed into the courts of Pharaoh and declared, Let my people go, thus says the Lord and then through signs and wonders and the plagues, until finally the death of the firstborn, the mighty civilization of Egypt, with the mightiest person alive on that planet in that time of ancient history, Pharaoh himself bowed to the sovereignty and the power of God and sent the people off. The people were free. They were delivered from the bondage of Egypt. The bondage of Egypt was broken because God is faithful to His promises. Our God is a bondage breaker. We have to come to a place to realise that God is at work. God is alive. God is ever present and He's going to deliver us. You saw the afflictions of our fathers in Egypt and He raised forth a mighty Deliverer. Some years ago, Anne and I were uh, in an IDMC conference in Africa. And in this IDMC conference, this is in Ethiopia. It is in a state-of-the-art building in the uh, Union House in Africa. And, and we, we were preaching, actually it all started, it's a long story, I'll keep it short. It all started, I was preaching in America. And an African bishop said to me, you must come and share the same message of discipleship to Africa. Come next year. I said, I can't. He says, no, 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 you must come. I said, I can come in three years' time. And he said to me, in three years' time, we would have died. You come next year. We need the message. He was stressing in an African term how important, how urgent the message was. Come. We went there. And because I couldn't go at the weekend, my, my year was full, there was a window of time, and I, I said to the bishop, I said, look, I, I cannot come for the weekend IDMC conference. I can only come on a Monday, Tuesday, because I'm in between uh, two trips. Could you accommodate that? He said, come. And when we went there, he said, because it's not the weekend, it's only a weekday, there are only a few people he could bring together, he will bring his leaders only a thousand. We went there, there wasn't a thousand leaders, it was 2,000 of their leaders gathered. I saw them sharing, as it were, their food, their materials, etc. And then I said to this bishop, Bishop David Oginde, I said to him, If I come again next year, would you be able to host it? He didn't answer me, jumped on stage, took up the mic, and he said to the rest, Pastor Edmund is coming again next year, and and they were thrilled, and, and I felt the Lord's leading. So I told the bishop, next year when I come, can it be not just for your church, but for the city? Yeah, 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 we intend to include others. He didn't extend it to the city. He included 16 other African nations. They sent their bishops, they sent their senior pastors. They came, and one of them came from Ethiopia, Bishop Isaias. Isaias came with the African uh, Strategic Discipleship Movement. He heard the discipleship message. We we journeyed together in a mentoring relationship. He says, You must come to Ethiopia. And I said, My year is full, I cannot come. I can come three years later. They said, No, no, no. Since you already committed next year to this church in Nairobi, why don't you just do a short training for them and then you come over to Ethiopia? And I said, I would. He said, I will bring together the bishops and the senior pastors. And that's what he did. He brought together the bishops the senior pastors, we had an IDMC conference. And his movement, this African strategic discipleship movement under Isaiah has a vision of discipling Africa for Jesus Christ. Recently, he sent me a WhatsApp of a testimony of one of the bishops. This bishop in August 1988, Aloysius, he was converted and then seven years later, in 1995, he answered the Lord's call to the full-time ministry and he served admirably and commendably. And he was, he was um, given the position of a bishop, and Bishop Aloysius Abu. He, he was effective in, in leading the people, but he confessed that he was spiritually dry. I want to read to you what he says in this sharing that he gave, this open sharing, um, he said people view me as doing well in my ministry and that I'm a humble bishop endowed with a lot of spiritual gifts. What people do not realise was that at that point of my life and ministry, I was feeling spiritually empty and dry and noticing spiritual weaknesses and sins. And then in 2019, he enrolled into a discipleship training programme with the African Strategic Discipleship Movement. And in that training program, this is what he said, I discover weaknesses I never knew that were there, pride, being easily provoked, not understanding my wife, lack of good communication in my marriage, reading my Bible just for ministry to others, as well as many others. It was there in that discipleship training that he was convicted. There was a transformation in his life He was so thrilled by the message of discipleship and the power of it. This is what he wrote about his transformation. He says now, as he came back from the discipleship training, I used every opportunity at my disposal to communicate my newfound life and transform ministerial idea to both clergy and laity in my diocese. And the board declared 2020 to 2030 a decade of discipleship. So he was excited to put discipleship in the church, but he learned the principle, think big, start small, build deep. So what he did, instead of doing it with the whole church first, he took four senior pastors and he came and trained them. And from the four senior pastors, he got 12 lay pastors and he trained the lay pastors. And then he expanded to all the archdeacons and their wives and trained them. And after training them, they put them into small groups and each group has no more than five pastoral couples and he trained them. And from these small groups, they included all their pastors, all their clergy and all their lay pastors until the church is transformed into an intentional disciple-making church. Not only that now, because of how they were deepening their roots in discipleship, how bondages were broken, how lives were transformed, they moved that now to the denomination, the National Church. And from their church with that discipleship emphasis, others are beginning to recognise the transformation. That God is the bondage breaker. God is the one who transformed lives. And so seven bishops from the denomination came together, joining the discipleship training, and each of these bishops has a group of five other bishops that they, they take in their cohort. And in their denomination, the National Church, 35 bishops were trained in discipleship, and they in turn trained their own churches and their spheres of influence. And it moved now not only in the National Church and the denomination, the Anglican Church of Nigeria, it moved into other denominations within Nigeria as well. And then this is what he said about what excited him. It's not just the expansion and the training. He said, Above all, my greatest joy about this movement is not just how wide it is growing, but the noticeable change of life demonstrated by those in the movement. The testimonies of victory over sin, healing in marriages and homes, positive change in approach to ministry and life issues, not just within my own diocese, but in all 165 Church of Nigerian dioceses. The phrase, dream break, start small and grow deep, is actually working in a massive way. Just this morning, I received another update from the West African Initiative, with another movement. And in that update, there is this excited call for discipleship within the denomination. God is on the move as a bondage breaker in different lives. And in this update from the new West African Coalition of Movement Leaders committed to reach West Africa in a new way with the Gospel, and this is the report that is sent, uh, the, the update of, of what God is doing. It says, I quote, "...Synergistically, bright over brain, humble not ego, nothing to prove, nothing to lose, nothing to hide, with healthy indigenous reproducing ministries of multiplication and cooperation, not owning, controlling, or counting anything as theirs, building his church, not theirs, as they dream big, start small." and go deep. It works. Discipleship works. It is the key of reaching the world for Jesus Christ. It's the key to revitalizing the church if we are able to lay hold of the theology and the truth that our God is the bondage breaker. He renews marriages. He renews home. He renews family. Healthy families equal healthy churches. But the bondages have to be broken in the first place. Because here's the assurance of God. In your bondage, I will deliver you. In your bondage, I will deliver you. It's not about playing church. It's not about expanding church. It's not about programs. It's not about size. It's about transform lives. In your bondage... I will deliver you. I want to apply this to us before I move on. Here's a bishop who recognized I'm walking in busyness and spiritual dryness. And this is true in the life of many Christians, including Christian leaders. Busy, but empty and dry. And the Lord, as the bondage-breaker, is wanting to step in and renew, just as He has renewed Bishop Aloysius Abo Until he got so excited, he saw himself change, the sphere of influence God has given to him change, and it multiplies because God is in the business of transforming lives. Here's the question, are we walking in bondage? or are we walking in freedom? We have to choose inside how we walk. We we cannot walk in both worlds, putting our feet on both boats, trying to navigate the world and and the Word. It doesn't happen. It's a miserable existence. We have to choose living in freedom, in the power of the Spirit. With God as a bondage breaker, or living in bondage. Spiritual dryness is a bondage. There are other bondages, addictions, whether it's addiction to alcohol, addiction to gambling, addiction to phonography, addiction, bondage. And God wants to step into our lives as the bondage breaker of all these fatal attractions and set us free because spiritual dryness, addiction and the fatal attractions of the soul, whatever distracts us in our walk with God, they are bondages. We are in a spiritual Egypt if we are not set free. Let my people go. It's the cry of God because He has a destiny for His people. But the people must be willing to be set free. So comes now the second episode of the story, encountering God as a wonderful provider, and this is at the Red Sea. It says in the second part of verse 9, and heard their cry at the Red Sea. God is not blind, He sees. God is not deaf, He hears. He sees their affliction, He hears their cries. And He says, He hears their cry at the Red Sea. The Red Sea is a picture of a place of distress. What happened at the Red Sea? When the people came out of the bondage of Egypt, they left as a people of God because Pharaoh had no choice but to let them go because the signs and the powers of God were real. God was the bondage breaker. So the people were set free and they went. And then Pharaoh had a change of mind. He went like, what have I done in letting the people go? Because overnight, his entire labour force is reduced to nothing. And so here was an angry Pharaoh who decided, I will send my chariots, my army, my horsemen and the soldiers after the children of Israel. They were at the Red Sea. In front of them was the Red Sea they couldn't cross. Behind them were the Egyptian chariots and war horses. They were at a place of distress and the people cried out to God, And Moses stood up and said to the people, stand and see the salvation of God. And then he went to God and cried out, God, you better help us, please deliver us. And God delivered by the parting of the Red Sea. In your distress, I will provide for you. Whatever the distress we might be in, whatever the trials, the difficulties, the challenges, whatever place you might be in at your spiritual Red Sea, the place of distress, the place where you're looking for a solution to your problem, a solution to the difficulty, God has the perfect solution. He says, look to me, I will provide. That's the assurance of God. The assurance of God is, I hear your cries, I can see where you're at, and in your distress, I will provide for you. I have here one of my prized possessions. It's a framed poem called The Tapestry of Life. Behind it is one side, uh, what it looks from the back, and in front is what it looks from the front. And this is what it says in, in this, um, this frame poem. I want to read it for you. It has been a source of inspiration and a comfort to me. It's titled, The Tapestry of My Life. is by an unknown poet. And this is what it says. My life is but a weaving between my Lord and me. I cannot choose the colours. He works so steadily. Oftentimes times he weaves in sorrow and I, in foolish pride, forgets he sees the upper and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shutters cease to fly will God unroll the tapestry and explain the reason why. The dark threads are as needed in the weaver's skillful hands as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has Plan. Unfortunately, the picture cannot capture, as it were, the silver threads, shimmering golden threads in this very beautiful uh, tapestry. But the idea behind this is that we cannot just see one side of it. We cannot just see the, the side that is behind because we don't know the tapestry in front. I can't capture it on picture, the beauty of this tapestry. But when it's looked in front, it is a beautiful picture. Can we see the front picture? What looks from behind and what's from the front? The tapestry of God. He is at work in your life, people. He is knowing what we are going through. He will provide the perfect solution for us. We just have to trust in Him. You know what is it that compromises our trust and faith in God? Do you know what is one phrase in the Bible that is used 365 times? It is the phrase, do not fear. Because fear is what compromises faith. Fear and faith cannot coexist together. If you have faith, it will dispel fear. If you have fear, it will cripple faith. We have to choose to move from the fear zone to the faith zone. So how do we move from the fear zone to the faith zone? The answer, the Word of God. That is why in discipleship, Anne and I don't go around the world teaching discipleship out of a magic formula or models of materials or methodologies. We essentially ground biblical discipleship in the Word of God, the principles of God's Word, because the principles are unchanging. We are thankful for many discipleship movements God is raising out in different parts of the world. And they can teach the methodologies and the materials, etc. We thank God for them. We celebrate that. But IDMC is called to major on the principles, to major on the discipleship from the inside out, to major on moving from the mandate to the mission. And if we major on that, then the Word of God must be foundational. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I was praying just now behind with Pastor Tony, and as we were praying together, I said there's a burden upon my heart. It's a simple burden, and, and we pray together in the light of this burden, because I believe as leadership mentor and senior pastor, we share the same burden. The burden is this: In this year, where we are preaching through the Book of Leviticus on holiness, and this IDMC conference on spiritual warfare, we are entering a pivotal time where we are entering as a church into battleground. Whether you are ready or not, the minute we touch the sacred scripture into holiness and spiritual warfare, we are entering into battleground. Some of you might be thinking, but I never asked to enter into battleground. I did not join a battleship. I just want a cruise ship. Christianity is not a cruise ship, it's a battleship because whether you realise it or not, whether you are ready or not, Satan is at war with God's people, you and I. Whether you want to be at war or not doesn't matter to him. He fights and He fights dirty. He hits below the belt. He will do everything He can to destroy your life, to destroy your marriage or destroy your home or destroy with dysfunctionalities of fear and anxieties so that you cannot reach the destiny God has for you. And in our prayers this morning, we are coming before the Lord to say, Lord, would you unite this church to walk in the path of holiness as we come to the book of Leviticus. Where in that wilderness, in the tabernacle, with the presence of God, God stipulates his ways and how we are to live before him. It is time, people, it's time as a church for us to mean business with God. It is time for us to come, as Bishop Aloysius came to say, Lord, I want a change in my life. And the Lord wrought that change as a bondage breaker and a wonderful provider. That's the third principle. And the third principle is encountering God as our trustworthy guide. It's found in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 12. And Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 12 says, And with a pillar of cloud, you led them. You guided them. You showed them the way. You led them by day, and with a pillar of fire by night to light for them the way in which they were to go. And the context is in the wilderness. And here's the principle of God's assurance. In your confusion, I will guide you. Can you hear the assurances of God from His Word? In your bondage, I will deliver you as He delivered them from Egypt. In your distress, I will provide for you as He opened up the way in the Red Sea. And in your confusion, I will guide you. The wilderness is a place of lostness. There is no path in the wilderness. God guided them with the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And here's the key thing. Do not light your own fire. Follow the leading of the Lord. Walk in the leading of the Lord. Do not light your own fire. Because God will guide you. If we walk in our own wisdom, if we walk in our own rationality, we will not be able to know the leading of the Lord. I'm not saying that Christianity is irrational. I'm simply saying the wisdom of man cannot compare to the wisdom of God. It is God, when He guides us, He makes all the difference. Lean not unto your own understanding, the Bible says. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. He will direct your path. He will guide you. And here's a simple message. Don't panic. God will guide. When you don't know the way to go, don't panic. God will guide. When there seems to be no way, God will guide. He will grant you the perfect solution. He will guide you. He call you to look up to Him. I told this story before, but it was an episode of my life that taught me to look up. Anne and I were with uh, Pastor Clarence and his wife. We were on the southern part in Africa, wanting to go up north in in Joburg. Lost. Completely lost. It was literally in the wilderness. It was at night. There was no traffic light. In front of me was dark. Behind me was dark. Around me was darkness. It's just the beam of the, the car and there was no cars around, it's miles and miles of nothing, and we were trying to make our way back to Joburg. I didn't realise the sun set so quickly uh, at that particular season in time. So we were lost. Then we saw a light, uh, there was a shed, uh, they were repairing something. I stopped and asked uh, the two men that were there the direction to Joburg all I ask is, is this the road to Joburg? There's only one road, either this way or the other way. There is no left or right. Is this the way to Joburg? I was expecting a yes or no. But they were pointing in different directions and saying things and the accent was so thick I couldn't understand. By the time I got into the car and asked, so how? I go like I don't know what they are saying. Literally, don't know, don't have a clue. So what I did was I say, and we were driving along I stopped the car, I said, hang on a while. I got out of the car again. I looked up the sky, found the Southern Cross. And from the Southern Cross, uh, located the North Star. And then decided, this is the way north. We followed the direction and we found Joburg. I learned two lessons that day. Number one, when in doubt, look up. That's what I teach my wife when we're at international airports, because some international airports can be very confusing. We don't know which direction to take. Then we, I say to her, when in doubt, look up, because the signs are all up there. In life, it's the same principle, when in doubt, look up, because God will guide. He's constant as the North Star. And God will break through in a bondage He will deliver, in a distress He will provide, in a confusion He will guide because He's the bondage breaker, He's the wonderful provider, and He's the trustworthy guide. I want to close by going back again to Exodus now, to the very first time God called Moses to raise him up as a deliverer in, in uh, this bondage. Turn with me now in your Bibles as we come towards a close to where it all started in the Exodus journey with the call of Moses at the burning bush. It's in Exodus chapter 3, in verse 7, the Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people. And I don't know about you, if I were Moses, I'd say, go, go! Good, 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 yes, God has seen. And then he says the next part, and have given heed to their cry, oh, wonderful, God, God has heard us and he has seen. And then he says, for I'm aware of their suffering. God says three things here. I see, I hear, I know. And if I'm Moses, I go like, thank you, Lord. Wow, you see and you hear and you know. And the best of all, verse 8, so I've come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians. Wow, yes, yes, yes. God is coming down to deliver. Then in verse 10, God says, I am sending you. It's like, what? God, you say, you have seen, you have heard, you know, and you will come down to deliver. Thank you, Lord. What, what, what sent me? Moses doesn't want to go to Pharaoh because Moses was a fugitive. He goes to Pharaoh. Pharaoh will throw him into the prison. It was like, I don't want to see Pharaoh. Pharaoh is the most powerful man in the most powerful ancient civilization. I do not wish to go. So he asked the question in verse 11, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Who am I? And God's reply is in verse 12. God says two things to him. Number one, it's not about who you are. I am with you. Look at verse 12. And he said, let's let's look at verse 11 for the context. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? Verse 12. Verse 12. And he said, certainly I will be with you and this shall be the sign. Two things God said. Number one, I am with you. And number two, this shall be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. Here's the sign. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. It was at this mountain God says, set my people free. And Moses goes like, who am I? God says, I am with you. And here's the sign. When you have set the people free, you will come to this mountain and there will be a worship festival. It's like, what kind of sign is that? You get the, the incongruence? Who am I to set the people free? God said, I'll give you a sign. When you set the people free, you come here. It's like, no, 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 no. Give me a better sign. Like when I go to Pharaoh, I see a dancing bear with a singing parrot. Then I know, oh God, what kind of sign is this? I tell you what kind of sign is this? I don't want to close with this talk for us as a church family. Moses missed what God called him to do. His only thought is, I cannot deliver the people of Egypt. But that's not the mission God has given to him. Listen closely to the mission way back when God says, this is what I will do in verse 8. For I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians, to bring them up from the land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. You are to bring them out into the promised land. You have to bring them out of bondage and deliver them to possess the land. It is the from what to the forward. It is from bondage into their destiny. That's what God wants to do in your life and mine. To take us out of bondage into our destiny. And we cannot shortchange God. We cannot walk a half-hearted Christian life because God has a destiny for us. We encounter Him as our bondage breaker, as a wonderful provider, as our trustworthy guide. For what? It is to enter into the destiny God has for His people. The destiny to proclaim the glory of God in and through our lives. Would you bow with me and pray? Eternal God and Heavenly Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, deliver us. Set us free from our bondages, from our idiosyncrasies, and help us, Holy Father, to walk a life that will be delivered from the bondage of sin into the destiny of living as a people of God tutor us in this wonderful journey a sanctifying journey a journey of holiness that we might have victory in the warfare a spiritual warfare over the dark forces of satan and what he does to prevent us to live as a people of god a people of destiny tutor us in this we thank you in jesus name amen